These days, it seems like everyone's a movie critic. But sometimes, when we listen to the critics, we miss out on the joys to be found in watching bad films. That's where we come in. In Defense Of is a movie podcast where we watch universally panned movies on purpose and challenge ourselves to focus on the positive and redeeming qualities of those films. Maybe it's the music, cinematography, acting, or just some unintentional humor. Sometimes, it'll be really easy, especially if we already like the film in question. But other times, it's going to be really, really hard. Either way, we're bound and determined to find something worth liking, and might even learn a thing or two along the way. So take off your cynic pants and buckle your seatbelts. In this episode, we play devil's advocate in defense of 2002's The Master of Disguise. Hey everyone, Dan here. Just a quick housekeeping note on this episode. We had an issue with my microphone, uh, where the audio was recorded off the computer instead of the external microphone I'm using right now. So the audio quality on this episode is not that great. However, we really liked the way that the discussion shook out. So I didn't really feel like we should re-record it at that point, especially being a brand new podcast. So we hope you stick with us, and uh, we promise that we're going to get this thing tightened up as we move forward and get better with it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you on the other side. Thank you. Hello, welcome back to In Defense Of. Today we are looking at 2002's The Master of Disguise. My name's Dan, and with me is Aaron. Hey guys. Alright man, well, this movie, Aaron, I, I, gosh, what a journey, man. I went on a journey with this film. Um, when this movie first came out, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I, I literally thought it was one of the funniest films I'd ever seen. And when I'd watched this, I wasn't really following movie reviews or anything like that. So I just, you know, was isolated to my own opinions. Um, then in preparation for this podcast, you had brought up this film and I started looking into the reviews <laughs> and I was totally shocked by what people thought of this film. Yeah. And then I rewatched it in preparation for this episode and really struggled with it. I actually couldn't believe um, what I was seeing. <laughs> and I was like, I used to think this was like really, really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Aaron, what's your, um, when did you first see this film? Okay, so I remember seeing this movie like years ago when I was a kid with like my childhood friends and uh, it's actually kind of funny because when I watched it with them, I remember all of them like thought it was hilarious. But for some reason, I hated it. And like, I yeah. just did not like it. It was only until like years later, um, probably like in my adult age that I watched it again and thought it was like hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just re rewatching it again. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's some like I can't believe that uh, some of the stuff that made it into this movie, but definitely it's like a hilarious movie. Yeah, this uh, th this is this is hard for me. I I had to dig deep. You you probably at this point like this film better than I do. So you're you're gonna have to kind of pull me along a little bit here as I struggle to kind of uncover the okay. mystery of this. <laughs> this movie is an anomaly. Um, this this movie. Uh, the Rotten Tomato score for this film right now, Aaron, is 
an abysmal 1% to critical rating, which, which means that only 1% of all critics that reviewed it gave it a favorable review, <laughs> <laughs> which is like rock bottom as in terms yeah. of reviews. And the kind of reviews people wrote about this film were so intense. Oh, they were absolutely destroying it. Like, on a personal level, they were attacking Dana Carvey, and, mm-hmm. like, this is the kind of film that anyone who, who didn't like it just absolutely hated it. Yeah. And I was shocked by some of the reviews I read attacking Dana Carvey on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, so... This film, the background, I guess the production on it, it's 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 by Happy Madison Productions, which is uh, Adam Sandler's company. Yeah. And it's the sixth film, I believe, that they did. So they did Deuce Bigelow, Little Nicky, The Animal, Joe Dirt, Mr. Deeds, and then Master of Disguise. Yeah. And that same year, actually, they did Eight Crazy Nights and The Hot Chick. But somehow, uh, The Master of Disguise made it through. So... Gosh, I guess, I guess, in talking about this film, I want to start with Aaron. On a fundamental level, what did you like about this film? Oh, um, I'm always a fan of just the sporadicness, the like unpredictableness, and just the craziness, and how nothing like lines up. Like I, I enjoy like watching a movie about chaos, and uh, <laughs> like now. This is a different type of chaos because it's just like nothing adds up, nothing makes sense, but it's just made to be like what, like just pick the like lowest fruit, like hanging fruit, and yeah. just run with those jokes. And uh, I feel kind of bad like admitting this because like I just absolutely found it hilarious with all the jokes that they made. You know, the fart jokes, the butt jokes, the like all of those jokes just cracked me up. <laughs> The uh, yeah, I, I'm sure we'll touch on this, but the the fart gag to this day, uh, it cracks me up every time. I don't yeah. know why. I could be, I don't know what it is, but that gag every single time, even when I know it's coming, I just, I I can't help it. It's like my kryptonite. It's so yeah. well timed. The yeah. same sound effect every time. <laughs> so oh, um, it's so good. So I I think in qualifying. Um, the redeeming qualities of this film, like why people should like it. I, I mm-hmm. when I was looking for an angle of of how to become more fond of this film again, I started looking at interviews and you know the production, all, all those kind of stuff. And what I found kind of shocked me because I didn't know this. Um, but Aaron, this film was shot between August. Um, 24th and October 10th, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene in this film, a very famous scene where Dana Carvey plays the turtle guy. Yeah. The turtle, turtle. <laughs> um, yeah. My favorite character. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, Dana yeah. Carvey was wearing the turtle costume. They were on set when they received word that 9-11 had occurred. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So, um, they had a moment of silence, you know, and then just kept filming. So, this movie, 
came out post 9-11. It was one of the first comedies to come out post 9-11. So I started wondering, were people too raw after that event to even like this film at the time? Is that where all the negativity came from? You know, like oh, this terrible, yeah. tragic event happens and then you have Dana Carvey doing like fart jokes. Yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. I, I was blown away by this. Um, also, what I thought was crazy in terms of the production value was this film was made for $16 million, which is a tiny, <laughs> tiny budget. We talked about Waterworld, how it was made for yeah. 200 So, Aaron, just to, these are, here's a list of other films that came out the same year and their okay. budgets. Check this out. So, Master of Disguise was made for $16 million, okay? Sweet Home Alabama came out that year. The budget was $30 million. Okay. The Hot Chick, $34 million. Yep. Um, Punch Drunk Love, $25 million. And Eight Mile with a production budget of $41 million. Oh, wow. So Dana Carvey comes along and somehow slips Master of Disguise through on $16 million. And the result is 70 minutes of total chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. while this global tragedy is happening on the other side of the country. And I'm just like, yeah. this movie is an anomaly. Like, this is really, really a time capsule of a film. Yeah. I feel, I feel like, Aaron, in turn, because this is a family film, right? Yeah. But I feel like this movie marks the beginning of, like, cynicism in, um, like family films like widespread like critical cultural in terms of how people viewed these kind of films like before that i feel like a lot of films could get away with murder in terms of the kind of content that were in them the fart jokes the toilet humor uh Mm -hmm. just the kind of topics that were covered yeah but then master of disguise comes out and everyone just hates it yeah very true so, gosh, this is, you know, part of me, part of me feels kind of bad for it in a weird way. Cause like, um, most of the film is shot on a, on a very obvious back lot. I'm pretty sure it was shot at Warner brothers back lot. They have this street called, uh, New York street where, yeah. because I didn't know this about Warner brothers, but Warner brothers, they actually let other studios film on their locations and use their props for a fee. But like, because this movie was made by like Paramount and Sony and all that, but the like the whole thing was shot in like under two months, mostly on the same back lot. Um, and I think the only two sets in the whole film are that back lot and Bowman's house. Yeah. And yet somehow we still got this really funny film out of it, and mm-hmm. that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um. It like yeah, it's it's a it's a hilarious movie. Now, if I'm gonna try to sell this movie to people, I'm gonna ask them a few things. Now, I'll ask you these things, Dan. And okay. uh, first of all, do you like butts? 
Because <laughs> if you like butts, you're gonna like this week. Do you like fart jokes? Do you like voices? Do you do you like children falling over? Because <laughs> if you if you like all of those things, you're gonna love this movie. This is like Instagram the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> It was just like, I, I read a few of the reviews as well. And um, yeah. the thing that kept coming up to me uh, was people were just absolutely offended by the turtle scene. <laughs> and it, it's like, it makes, uh, it makes, it makes no sense to me because I, there's so much like other stuff that you should be offended about in this movie that goes on. But for some reason, everyone seems to let to focus on that turtle scene specifically. Yeah. So to set up the turtle scene, they have, uh, they have a cigar butt from, uh, the bad guy, Devlin Bowman. They find out that the cigar maker makes, he makes cigars at the, this place called the turtle club. He just sits there at a table, and like rolls, off to the side. rolls cigars all day. <laughs> yeah, rolls cigars all day, I guess. And so they go there, and in order to sneak in, uh, Pistachio Disguise, Dana Carvey's character, takes the path of least resistance and literally yeah. dresses up as a turtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like the, his his turtle costume is just like I guess people found it really disturbing because uh he has like no nose <laughs> and and he just like has like this shell with his green suit on over top of it and uh yeah and I guess he can like go into his turtle shell as well. Mm-hmm. But and then uh oh and then when he bites the guy's nose off <laughs> he he like proceeds to bite one of the like bouncer's nose off and then spit his nose back onto his face. Yeah, and there's not like a wound or anything. It's no. just like blank skin where it was and then he yeah. spits it back on. <laughs> makes you know no sense. You know what's the most disturbing thing to me about that whole scene is Later on in the film, he dresses as a character called Terry Suave. Okay. You know, is that Terry Suave? Hop, bomb, bing, bang, boodle, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Looking back at that film, I'm like, that should have been the guy he dressed as to go to the Turtle Club. <laughs> oh, but but Dan, you're you're missing the whole point. I know, I'm missing his, the whole point of the film. His 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 master of disguise powers hasn't kicked in until at that moment. That's true. That is true. That's what. So he was going in as a rookie into the Turtle Club. That's true. Okay, so let's let's take a quick moment to talk about the plot to kind of okay. set up the rest of our conversation here. Yeah. So, um, Aaron, explain to me the plot of Master of Disguise. Okay, so uh, Pistachio Disguise um, comes from a long line of Master of Disguises. And uh, his parents essentially are, his dad is a master of disguise, but didn't want to uh, let Pistachio become a master of disguise. So he kind of, uh, what am I, like, he he just didn't tell him, essentially, hid the secret from him. Eventually, when Pistachio is older, his uh, father gets kidnapped, and uh, his grandpa comes to town and starts to teach Pistachio how to become a master of disguise. Um, So all of that kind of happens, what, in the first, like, five or ten minutes of the movie? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
once his grandpa leaves and then it starts to like get into it and he starts to solve the mystery of how he can find his dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Did I miss anything? Um, the bad guy, Devlin Bowman, he's like using his dad to steal all these yeah. famous, um, things. Uh, they're, to all, they're all like, uh, like the, what is it? Like, um, the Liberty Bell and the Declarants of Independence and, and like, American, what's the... <laughs> you know what's funny is the, just, <laughs> the Liberty Bell, like, weighs over 2,000 pounds. Yeah. And he yeah. just, like, walked off with it. <laughs> yeah. Also, just, this is another thing that drove me nuts. The, the, the Apollo 11, like, the lunar module, that's on the moon, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, not, that's not sitting in a museum. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the thing about this movie, is you have to, like... You have to throw all your logic out because there is no logic in this movie. It's just like a wild ride. Yeah, it is a wild ride. That okay? So that's that 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 squares up the plot, and that kind of squares up everything we're going to talk about. Um, I read an interview with Dana Carvey because I've been a Dana Carvey fan forever since like Wayne's mm-hmm. World, his SNL stuff. I've always thought he's he's very very funny. His impressions just get me. He's just got one of those like funny faces, you know. Like everything he mm-hmm. does seems just very funny. And he said that he he because he wrote co-wrote this film. He wrote this film for his kids because he'd been doing a lot of raunchy stuff, like raunchier stuff, like Wayne's World and uh, things of that nature. So. He writes this film for his kids, and it goes through rewrite after rewrite after rewrite, and gets condensed down into what is ultimately a seventy-minute like bullet train of a family film. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a good context too, because I feel like people don't treat this movie like a family film because. It was made by Adam Sandler's company because they look at Dana Carvey, they don't immediately associate him with like family fun. Mm-hmm. But Pistachio Disguise as a character, man. Um I had I had friends whose like younger brothers, younger sisters were obsessed with this film. Yeah. You know, me too. Growing up. They'd watch it all the time. You'd go over to someone's house and it was always on. Like everyone would you know, everyone was quoting Pistachio Disguise running around and you mm-hmm. know, saying Become another person. Become another person. Like the thing that's the thing that always gets me about this film is it might not have been super successful, but every single person knows what you're talking about if you quote this film. Yeah. Um, if you quote like, the turtle scene, if you quote um, what other? Gosh, there's so many things he does in this. Oh, film. Oh, there's so many. I think the turtle scene. Uh, Grammy Num Nums and uh, oh my gosh, and uh, uh, the the sailor at the end are probably like the most memorable ones, at least in my mind. Yeah, rewatching this film, I was getting pretty uncomfortable until until uh, Grammy Num Num shows up, and then I was like, okay, you got me, you've won me back. This is really freaking funny. <laughs> yeah. We're never going to make babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I honestly was like laughing so hard and like gasping for air at that point. And like when that scene comes on and he's like, you're a tall drink of water. <laughs> and 
I'm all out of moisture. Yeah. Oh, I love that line, like, so much. There are very few movies that, like, I'll laugh at even just talking about them. And this is one of those films. This is what I don't get. Like, this seems, this is one of those movies that people love to hate. But I think it's because they're just taking it so stinking seriously. And maybe they take, maybe as a general rule, they take everything super seriously. I even, um, I I try watching some YouTube video reviews of it. And it's just like, everyone's just like, this movie's so painful. It's so, you know, um, cringy and this and that. And I just thought, I don't know, man. Like, maybe you just need to watch it with a six-year-old to remind you what it's like to be you know, young and, and, and think fart noises are funny again. Maybe that's yeah. what you need in your life. They forgot what it's like to be young. Um, well, like there, there is some things that go, go on in this movie that are just like very politically incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't deny, but like even that it's kind of like the way that they present it. It's not really like in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. So there's, yeah, he, so he hires an assistant, Jennifer, who becomes the love interest. And she's, she has a son who I thought at first was named Bonnie Baker, but then I found out his name is Barney Baker. Yeah. Um, who, who, <laughs> who is uh, struggling to learn how to skateboard and <laughs> has some of the worst falls I've ever seen a yeah. kid take on film. Yeah, it just always um, gets up and it says, I'm okay, I'm okay, <laughs> like every single time he falls. Um, and the entire movie, um, Pistachio kind of is insulting Jennifer for not having a big enough butt. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's problematic right from the outset. Mm, this cat has claws. Me like it. Me like it. Too, but this cat's got no mama caboose. <laughs> you guys know I can hear you, right? Oh, uh, th- that's definitely... Yeah, that struck me right off the bat as being, I don't know about that. Um, a couple of his impressions I thought were in pretty bad taste. The one yeah. where he, uh, the, the snake charmer, yeah, on, oh, non-dis- the nondescript Indian character he played, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah, I was well... Gonna, I was going to ask you if you thought that was offensive, being being Indian, if that was, like, uh, something that was, like, dude, no. Uh, I don't know. Like, yes and no. I get that it's for a movie, and it's, it was just a character that he's playing, so I'm not, like, really offended. Um, yeah. If it was, like, trying to, like, slander Indian people in any way or, um, you know, like, I don't know, try to like make fun of them. He wasn't really making fun of them. He was just pretending to be one of them. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't really take it that like offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I was going to say with like his love interest though, because like oh, yeah, yeah. He, even though he does, um, he does make fun of her for her small bottom. Um, <laughs> he, he does end up with her in the end. So it's like, you know what? There's a sign of, uh, Hey, this is someone who overcame like the qualities that he was looking for and found someone else. So positive That's message. That's true. That is very true. Um, yeah. One, one of the things, 
one of the things I wanted to mention about the story structure is this story structure is very similar to like um, the hero's journey. It's called. It's like um, okay, yeah. You you've heard of that? Where yeah, like I'm that. familiar with it. Yeah, it's basically Star Wars. This is kind of like what the formula is. Mm-hmm. And the only thing, the only part of that that was really missing in this movie is like the refusal of the call. Like yeah. Dana Carvey's character just jumps right in right away. You know, he has nothing holding him down from doing any of this film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. His character kind of just exists, and then his grandpa shows up to the with a little Exorcist um, reference, and then he's like, okay. Sure, I'll become a master of disguise. Cool, let's go do it. You know, he's such a he's such a plucky, upbeat, silly character, um, and his arc is essentially embracing his destiny, which I mm-hmm. thought was a pretty pretty good message for kids because usually it, it is more dimensional when the hero's like, oh, I can't do that, or no, I don't have what it takes, you know. That mm-hmm. doubt is kind of nice, but in this film, you know, he kind of just hops on board, and I kind of like that, because it was refreshing in a sense, where you don't have this character that has to mope a bit before really embracing their destiny. He kind of just, okay, cool, let's go do it. I finally know why I like making voices. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. I, I thought of it the same way as, um, like, the way he grew up, because he, he was portrayed as, like, a weirdo. And uh, didn't really fit in with anyone because he's always doing voices and stuff. And even in the first see, first couple of scenes when he's like in the restaurant and like starts like copying the voice of the texting guy. <laughs> and oh, the uh, man <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, like you can tell that he just doesn't really fit in. He's striking out with like women. Um, can only manage to like maintain a friendship with a small child. And uh, so so the way I thought of it was that, like, once he gets offered with the position to become, like, a full-fledged master of disguise, his his um, destiny kind of, like, aligns and exactly what you said. Like, he understands why he does all this stuff. And um, there's no reason for him to deny it because, like, he has a way out and, like, he has a way to, like, finally just become a normal person. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty uh, a pretty nice story. It's almost, it's almost like, for some reason, watching this movie again, maybe it's just the structure. It reminded me a lot of The Grinch. Jim Carrey's The Grinch. I don't know why. Maybe just the way it was told, where he's like the freak in school that's different, and then he's kind of just recluse, you know, in the restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. and then he kind of embraces who he is at the end. By the end, I don't know. There mm-hmm. was something. Maybe it was just the aesthetic. Something about it really is like, this reminds me of the Grinch in like a super vague way. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in this whole film was when he's talking to his dad and he says, the mucking's getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> Which, so when is that? I don't remember that. It's after he insults the Texan and his dad, who's played by Josh Brolin's oh, okay. dad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. pulls him as. He pulls him aside and he's just like, oh, the mocking's getting worse. As if it's like a disease or like something he can't control. Yo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I know what you're talking about. Something about that was just so funny to me. I just thought like, oh man, like Im- imagine any other uh, quirky character thing like that, you know, and, and, and put it in that sentence, you know, like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. It's funny uh, that in, in real life, uh, Josh Brolin is this guy's son. 
That's what, actually on, hilarious. I had no idea. But on film, it's pistachio disguise. <laughs> Um, his, like, his dad is a good looking guy. Like, if I look like that when I'm older, somewhere close to that, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, he's definitely got, like, uh, James Brolin, that's his name. He's got a, he's got a Burt Reynolds thing going on. He's, he's a cool guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, gosh, so we got, we got, we've covered the production, we've covered when this movie came out, we've covered the plot, um... Now, the other character I wanted to talk about um, before we jump into some of the impressions and stuff was the bad guy, Devlin Bowman. Okay, Devlin Bowman. So, uh, Devlin Bowman's played by Brent Spiner, who's best known for playing Data on Star Trek Next Generation. Um, He also plays that Dr. Oaken in Independence Day. And, okay. Uh, if he's done anything besides that, I do not know about it. I don't think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but his character, who has like ridiculously blue eyes, mm-hmm. um, is essentially he's a pretty one-dimensional character, and he's he's trying to amass all of these famous uh, things in order to sell them on a black market eBay, right? Hmm. And <laughs> there's this ongoing gag in the film where if he laughs for too long of a period of time, um, he lets out this, he lets out a fart. Now yeah. saying that isn't nearly as funny as watching it happen, but, um, it pretty much is a gag that carries on through the entire film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I, every single time, like I, that is one of the things that I remember the most clearly about this movie is him always farting. And, uh, like with it coming up, like I knew it was coming up every single time and I still laughed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he sure does get around in a hurry stealing all these artifacts. It's pretty crazy what he accomplishes. Cause I'm not sure I was trying to figure it out. Like I know this is a kid's film, but I was trying to figure out how many days elapsed between, um, like pistachio, his mom and dad get kidnapped his mom is uh, thinks that she's making dinner for like three yeah. or four days straight. <laughs> yeah, and and in this space of time, Devlin Bowman's managed to collect all at once some of the most famous uh, art, like famous things in the entire country. And so, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really get a sense of time or place or space. Um, but if you have a theory about that, that's I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> oh, I have no idea. Honestly, I was just like, yeah, it's got to be right around two weeks. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, what that it feels right. <laughs> Feel, feels like what the what <laughs> the pacing of this movie or like the the order of events that happen. Mm-hmm. Two weeks sounds about right. Um, what are the other things um, that I was reading on the? Uh, the on like online about the movie that people were really upset about. I don't know if you remember this, but it's when him and his grandpa are walking and uh, they're eating the ice cream and then they see like a, like a girl with like a big bottom and then they like stop and like, they're like looking at it and admiring it and stuff. And then they like turn around and it's a dude like walking a dog and they like freak out. And I don't know why, but like so many people were offended at that scene too. 
then they put their ice cream cones into their mouths yeah. really fast. Like, yeah, I don't know. That's, I, I feel like that, I want to say, like, I can imagine Adam Sandler having something to do with some oh. of those kind of tonal shifts. Yeah. I don't know. It's, so, it's such a weird thing to be offended about because it is kind of a funny gag. Like, um, I'm not saying that that's what anyone should do in public, but. It I was mean, kind of we, a funny egg on their face thing, you know? We've all been there where we've been checking out <laughs> someone and then they turn around and it's a dude. <laughs> okay, it's a real life problem. <laughs> we should be raising awareness about this yeah, issue. Yeah, definitely. Not condemning it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny that you say that... Um, you feel like Adam Sandler had a lot to do with these scenes. Cause that's once I learned that this was, uh, that was produced from like the happy Madison, uh, like what is it called? Production? No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Productions. Um, I really realized that Adam Sandler must've had like his hand in a lot of these things of just like the randomness that goes on. Yeah, I think so. I was re I read an interview um, that Dana Carvey did with IGN when the DVD came out because uh, back when DVD releases happened when they first started coming out, uh, they would be more of like a launch style event and, you know, celebrities would do an entire other round of press and this and that, like, oh, oh really? this is what's on the disc and we're going to have these behind-the-scenes features. And it was a much more big deal back then than it is now where mm -hmm. it's just kind of get released digitally and whatever. So... In that interview, he talked about um, he talked about the Abraham Lincoln scene where Abraham Lincoln can't do a good speech, so he take one of his oh, ancestors no. takes his place and oh, let's party kind of thing. Yeah, and he when asked about anything, yeah, he basically <laughs> said, "Oh, you know, that was probably one of Adam Sandler's cronies that came up with that one on the fly." Oh, really? And wow. And it was when he said that that I kind of got a sense of like, oh, okay, this was kind of like a sandbox where like Dana Carvey had his story and then there were a bunch of people just hanging out that were like, oh, do this, maybe try this, maybe do this. Yeah. Uh, actually, in saying that, that that brings up another thing is how many is, is how many deleted scenes there are for this film. Yeah. There are so many. I a lot of them kind of surface in the closing credits. Yeah. Um, but I remember when we bought, when we brought this DVD home, Aaron, I was so, I mean, I thought this movie was so funny that I watched every extended and deleted scene on that disc, like multiple times. I just thought they were so funny. There's this, there's this character that didn't make the cut in the film, but he, they end up at like a toy shop or a toy convention. And he plays like this, this, this big, um, plump character with like rosy cheeks who keeps like throwing a yo-yo <laughs> at Bowman or something. And oh, I, I wish I'd seen that scene. There, there were these entire diff entirely different sequences that got chopped. There was one yeah. where he dresses as Captain America and mm -hmm. punches Bowman in the face at like the end of the film and that got cut. Whoa, cool. It's all in a day's work for Captain America. What's with the Italian accent, Capitan America? Well, you see, America is a big pot of melting people. Nice shield. You want to hold it? Now, you'll excuse me 
Oh, please, please, don't slap me. You're my daddy. You're my daddy. If you insist. Wow, that was awesome. And remember, kids, always stay in school. We will. Okay. Bye. Bye. Cool. Well, you hit him with the claws of fist. He didn't deserve his dignity, Pop. It's just like, it, it was as if they just started the camera rolling, put Dana Carvey in a costume, and just like filmed. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, we'll figure it out later. Let's just, let's just like get all the gags in and we'll cut it all together and make sense of it later. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely feel the same way about that that that's really what the like how the movie seems to be filmed and i feel like they should make more movies like this just that like that that loose improvisational Yeah. yeah yeah but i like i understand that like if you're investing millions of dollars into a movie like you don't want to make something that's gonna flop and a movie of this style has like huge potential of flopping right yeah it's just I mean, it's true. I, I don't think the studio had much confidence in it. And it's weird because because of the backlash of this film, Dana Carvey didn't really star in a leading role after this. No, still, I, yeah. I was looking like, into that too. Yeah, like he does voiceover stuff and, and like bit parts. But this, as far as leading roles go, this really set him back, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's a bummer because I, I I think he like I've even watched his Netflix comedy special like he's still a super funny guy and his impressions his political impressions are so funny. Yeah. Um, did you see like apparently there was a Wayne's World thing with him and uh, Mike Myers at the Oscars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. It was it was pretty brief, but it was it was cute. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but. They were just introducing Bohemian Rhapsody, and yeah, it was it was a oh, really really cute nod. That's really cool, actually. Oh, that that brings me to a point I wanted to mention. Um, there's this meta moment that happens in this movie at the beginning of the film um, mm-hmm. when we first when we first get introduced to to Barney Baker. Yeah. Um, when he falls down, the first impression that Dana Carvey does is Shrek and the donkey. Yeah. Um, now it's cool because that's what Mike Myers was doing at the time was the Shrek series. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I know that at that point in time, there was a feud between them since like the Austin power days and then Shrek. So that Mm -hmm. was kind of a, I don't know if that was meant to be like a jab at Mike Myers or if that was just a nod to him or maybe homage i don't really know but it really jumped out at me like right off the bat i was like oh that's weird like that's mike myers's jam yeah what's going on here well the other thing that i was wondering because like if you if you listen to that impression is it him actually doing the impression or are they just playing like a sound clip oh that's a good point i'm pretty sure it's an impression i assumed that everything in the because it's spot on like it's spot on yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I heard some stuff too that they were like um, something about Wayne's World that uh, that Mike Myers was trying to force Dana Carvey out of Wayne's World, and that's why that they like started a feud there too. Like he was trying to make it so like he was the only like the main person in it. Jeez, 
So I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's whenever, whenever someone, whenever someone listens to this, maybe they know the whole deets and they can correct us. Yeah, that's so unfortunate that two guys like that would have uh, beef because we missed out on probably oh. a lot of good projects that they could have done. Because yeah. Of it. One thing I read about this movie um, that Jim Carrey was considered for the role. Really? Yeah, and and that kind of confused me because I was I like it just didn't make sense. Like, did they approach Jim Carrey? Because like, I don't think anyone would ever do this movie. And also, Dan Carvey wrote most of it, so it's like his character and his style, right? You're not gonna get Jim Carrey on a 16 million dollar movie. This no. is like that was like peak Jim Carrey. Liar Liar came out in 1997, and the budget on that movie was 45 million. And that entire movie is just him in a courtroom. <laughs> yeah. That's just to pay his salary. You know, like, you, it's so nuts. Like, I, I feel like Dana Carvey's vision for this film was so much bigger than what he ended up getting to do. Mm-hmm. It, but it's still kind of weird to me because there's tons of celebrity cameos. I don't know how they got them in the film. I just assume that they were on set that day or, or were, you know, passing through and, well, the like cameos aren't like of terribly famous people, you know. <laughs> so it, it kind of makes sense, like that they like, hey, we're making this movie. You don't really have any idea what it's about, but like, would you like to start like have a cameo in it? We had we had we had Jessica Simpson. Mm-hmm. We had Jesse Ventura, who was yeah. the governor, was still a governor at that point, I think. Yeah. Um, we had Michael Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, and who else? I feel like I'm missing somebody, but uh, um, there was, yeah, I can't remember. Th- there's a lot. Yeah. It was, it, it was weird because all of the, none of the cameos were like other actors. They were, <laughs> they were like sports people and musicians. So I feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, they definitely reached outside of like the Hollywood circle in order to be like, Hey, you want to come pop by yeah. and do five minutes of filming? <laughs> yeah. Because, like, even, even I, I feel like Jessica Simpson was probably, like, one of the biggest stars that they had for the cameos there. And even that, like, whenever you think of, like, um, you know, like, female pop stars and stuff, like, you automatically think, like, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And then, like, and then in, like, the lower tier, it goes, like, Jessica Simpson, Mandy Moore, and, like, all those people. So, well, so where like, would you put Shakira in that list, Aaron? Oh, Shakira's not in that list because she's like a, uh, she was like huge Latin singer before everything, right? Yeah, she's like international sensation. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so like American pop stars anyways is what I was kind of putting it up. (laughs) I think Jessica Simpson is probably my favorite cameo in this, in the entire, um, out of all the cameos in this. Yeah, let's, can we talk about the, um kind of the lore and, and, and the world building. I, I, had a, oh, yeah, I, sure. I, I was curious about something. I can never figure out. Th- there's some scenes where the disguises are wearing just actual costumes. Um, mm-hmm. Like any of the celebrity stuff, it's an actual costume that they pull off, which yeah. it's, a, it's an actual disguise. But a, a lot of Dana Carvey's costumes, although he's not on their level, is him applying prosthetics and makeup to himself. Yeah. Um, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is if he's like an apprentice disguisey and all of his disguises are ap- applied right to his face, d- 
doesn't that make him a better disguise artist than someone who's just wearing a mask? Wait, you gotta say that again to me. Like, his dad, who's, like, really famous disguise and is being used by the bad guy, all of his get-ups are all masks that, and, and mm-hmm. he, like, pulls off his head and he's yeah. inside them somehow, <laughs> regardless of their proportions. And then, but all of Dana Carvey's disguises are prosthetics applied to his own face, you know? They're not yeah. masks and stuff that he puts on. Because yeah. this this movie would look a lot different if it was just a bunch of, like, celebrity mm-hmm. cameos with Dana Carvey pulling them off every once in a while. Yeah. And I, I thought, well, doesn't that make him a better disguise artist than the guy who's just putting on the bodysuit and the mask? Mm-hmm. And then to further confuse things, at the very end, when Pistachio's dad's with him on the lunar module and he's in the Devlin Bowman disguise, which they show is a mask that's being glued to his face. Yeah. Uh, he uses the uh, he uses what they call the energico, which is like the force of the disguise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he uses that because he's because Pistachio says uh, something about oh no, his grandpa says. Oh, the dark side of Energico has taken him over or something. And then, <laughs> and then Pistachio's like, oh, it's like a Star Wars. And then his dad, like, shakes off the Bowman mask, like, shakes it from his um, his being. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he doesn't pull it off. He shakes it off like he's a shapeshifter. Yeah. So not to read too much into this film, because that's not what we want to do. But Aaron... Can you explain to me what the heck is going on with the world building of these disguises? Oh, I can explain that last scene to you. So the okay. way I the way I understood it is that um, Devlin Bowman was like using some sort of laser to change his face at the end, and that's like when you see the laser, or like um, otherwise, I just assumed it would be like a mask that he would like put on. Right. And so at the end scene. Uh, yeah, Devlin was like using lasers, whatever technology is very vague, um, to like actually change the structure of his face without like using a mask. So it'd be like an identical, uh, copy that they would find and they wouldn't oh, be able to like okay. pull the mask off. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause he was trying to frame him for his death. So he uses energy code to basically shake off that laser lasered mask. Yeah, like the permanent laser mask. He uses the energy code to get rid of it. Jeez. So there, interesting. There's story. so much depth. <laughs> like like there, little there subtle depth in this movie. There is, because the the mechanics and I swear this is the most in depth that anyone has ever talked about this movie in the history of this movie coming out. Yeah. But so there's the Enigico, which is basically the force that they use to tap into these different people. And then there's the mantra that they have to say to become another person. Mm-hmm. But there's also the prosthetics and the makeup that Dana Car- that Pistachio has to learn how to do and get better mm-hmm. at. There's this whole training montage of him, you know, pulling air on a on a on a fat suit or he's putting on makeup in a certain amount of time as grandpa's timing him and, mm-hmm. and punishing him by slapping him when he doesn't get yeah. it right. Um, so it, it seems to me that the, the way his grandpa explains the mantra and energico is it transforms your voice 
and it transforms your mannerisms and basically your whole mind. But you're still kind of in the driver's seat where you can choose to step out of it. You can still kind of control it. Um, mm-hmm. The lines become kind of blurred. It's 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 sort of interesting. Like Pistachio Disguise, he's almost like... Um, He's almost addicted to it in a weird spastic kind of way. Like even the amount of times he changes two different characters. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes, which um, just always shocks me when it happens because it's just such a funny, bizarre thing to see is when he crawls up out of that cherry pie Yeah, <laughs> and he's in the cherry pie yeah, scene. Yeah. And oh, I was I like, I would. And I was like, holy gosh, like, how long did it take to make this cherry pie suit? And so that suit obviously didn't require any sort of mantra or energico. It was just a really good suit that he somehow, mm-hmm. at one point or time or another, like, he put that suit together. Mm-hmm. Um, I get, like, we're led to believe that he constructed this suit. Then, like, five minutes later, he's sitting in a boat and he's doing the character from Jaws, which is, like, an amazing impression. Um, I just, gosh, I'm trying to figure out the mechanics of of exactly what Energico is in terms of the mythos. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe, you know what I would argue? I would argue that he's not a master of disguise yet. And so that's the reason why he's like applying things. And it's more of like him playing a character than uh, like a guest cameo. And maybe that's why his dad, who is a master of disguise is able to go into like the body of a famous celebrity. Okay. Yep. That's I how I, that. yeah, that's how I would argue it. I buy that. That's actually really, really good. That's really good. That actually makes sense of pretty much everything I was thinking while watching this. Because yeah. I, I started looking at, uh, on a literal level, if I'm an adult watching this film, I started looking at the disguises as almost like mutants, almost like Mystique mm-hmm. from X-Men, where they can basically contort their body to fit into these costumes and yeah. do what they do. But that makes total sense. That's why so many of his disguises... See, I'm thinking about it backwards. Yeah. But, yeah, okay. I uh, that. Interesting fact uh, about this movie is uh, George R. R. Martin, like the creator of uh, Game of Thrones, uh, was mm. heavily inspired to create the faceless men in the series. <laughs> Actually, that's all false. <laughs> oh, so, my God. No, I, like, I know you don't watch this series, Dan, but like for anyone. Who... <laughs> so you could be <laughs> anything you said just then. Yeah. I would have believed. Yeah, no, 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 no. But anyone, <laughs> er, anyone that's like listening is probably just like you're an idiot. <laughs> but like, oh, I wish, man. I wish you did watch it so you could like you would understand what I'm referencing because there's like a, a like a religion or a, like a cult that like one of the main characters becomes a part of. And, and it's uh, the disguises. Yeah. yeah, and so they like take faces <laughs> of people and like go into another like other people's bodies and like completely like disguise themselves as those people so oh man very very similar that's creepy so they're the disguises then yeah yeah they they have energico <laughs> that's their religion is uh in, in game, the faceless men <laughs> worship the god of energico <laughs> 
my gosh. So, <laughs> oh man. So I, I feel like we've defended the production of this film. We've defended, yeah. we've defended the world and the mechanics of it. We've defended some of the characters. Um, one of the other things I really liked about this film, um, which I think is worth another look, is the um, just the sheer production of it. Mm-hmm. The set design. Um, I don't know if they were using. I don't know if they were using like pre-made sets like based on the budget of this film i was i was wondering if things were being repurposed but the production design like his dad's nest space in the attic is super cool Mm -hmm. and that set is really elaborate like there there if you look in the background it looks like something out of harry potter yeah it's it's like dumbledore's office or something there's just stuff everywhere that's where the budget went that's where like the entire budget went (laughs) The production design, even at Bowman's house, there's this big elaborate party. There's all these extras yeah. floating around. And I think something to give a second thought to definitely while watching this film would be the production design. And even mm-hmm. the even the big room, even the big room where like they have all the different um, antiques that Bowman wants to auction off. There's a lot of little Easter eggs and stuff hidden mm-hmm. in the background yeah. for you to catch and look at and uh, in the, the opening credits with the storybook and, and, and the CG, like the, it just gives it this really whimsical um, vibe. You know, the, the, the movie literally starts with a song that goes, this is going to be fun. Yeah. You know, right out of the gate, they're trying to set a tone of like, okay, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a fairy tale. It's going to have mythical quality to it. And then you're taken into this bizarre world where everything's kind of mystical, you know? Yeah. Um, you know what? For $16 million in the time they made it, when they made it, the world building and all, mm-hmm. this movie, I feel like this movie's pretty dang good. It's yeah. pretty stinking funny. Yeah. Definitely. You know, that's the thing you got to remember. You know, people say you're nervous about a movie, and I say it's just a freaking movie. You know, it's post 9 11. We've got a world with a lot of problems, we've got warnings and all sorts of things. And it's a silly movie. Sit down, get some popcorn, put your feet up. You know, if you're not bored for 80 minutes, you know, the what have you lost? It's like the little movie that could, you know? Mm-hmm. It was an underdog, and it still is. People still hate on this movie. I watched um, that guy on YouTube, Nostalgia Critic. I watched his Nostalgia Critic video for this movie, and I couldn't get through it. It was just too harsh. <laughs> it was just... Oh, really? It was just too harsh. Yeah, the, the, the it just was missing the point. I felt, and not to anyway, not to. That's that's all I want to say about that because like, when you take into consideration everything about it, and you you watch it with a kid or you watch it as a kid, like holy smokes, this is a pretty funny film. Hmm. Yeah, I I I agree. Like I said, do you like butts? Do you like farts? Do you like people falling over? Because if you do, you're gonna love this movie. Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of slapstick. There's literal slaps. There's a lot of um. There's not a lot of sight gags like mm-hmm. camera tricks or anything like that. Most of it's verbal. You know, yeah. just Dana Carvey just doing his thing. Um, it's it. I, it's a it's definitely a specific kind of humor, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you either have it or you don't. Yeah, one of the things the nostalgia critic commented on was 
Pistachio's voice, how he couldn't believe that that was the voice that he was going to use for the entire film. Was that the voice? Um, yeah. And in that in that interview with Data Carvey, he said that they asked him, like, why did you use the voice? Because you're basically playing a character who becomes other characters. Wouldn't you want to play just straight as yourself and then become mm-hmm. these exotic characters? And he said that the reason the, the studio told him that if he, he had to put on a character and a voice because if the movie was a smash success, mm-hmm. that he didn't want like all the attention. He would he would be to be like too famous. He'd be typecast as that character. So yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like people would recognize him. Yeah. <laughs> so he he made the choice of disappearing into the character of Pistachio. Yeah. And putting on that voice and putting on that whole shtick. So I thought that was really interesting because yeah, he's playing a character who's becoming other characters, which I think if you're talking about impersonations and impressionists that just speaks to dana carvey's like Mm -hmm. crazy talent yeah and i I agree with you if there's one thing that you can like take away from this movie it's that he is unreal at like impressions and voices and things like that like it's exactly what you were saying not a lot of like crazy like camera camera angles or see like no literally is there any cgi yeah maybe a little bit just a little bit. I think for that nose thing, that's the only thing that really jumps out at me. <laughs> yeah, and it's all literally him doing, like, everything, which is just insane. And then on yeah. top of that, you add all the deleted scenes and all the extras that, like, are going on in this, in, like, that they did for this movie. And it's just, like, a testament to, like, how funny of a guy he is and how talented he is at uh, doing voices and impressions. How many other people could have played that character? Oh, literally today. Jim Jim Carrey, Mike Myers, and that's like I don't think anyone else. Man. Like is See, there is there anyone else? Uh when we're talking like circa two thousand two, no, I don't think so. I can't think mm-hmm. of anybody else. Maybe another SNL cast member, but not to as much strength, I don't think. Um, because this movie really does play like a series of SNL skits kind of stitched together. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. And it's 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 funny, you know, because if you watch like the the outtakes and stuff, uh the character who plays uh who plays Jennifer mm-hmm. um who's also named Jennifer in real life, Jennifer Esposito. <laughs> yeah. Um she she's always cracking up. Like and and Brent Spiner's always cracking up and like Dana Carvey is making all the cast and crew laugh the entire mm-hmm. time. The a lot of like they had a great time filming this mm-hmm. in this short period of time. And Dana Carvey was in a makeup chair at like three and four in the morning. He spent like four or five hours in prosthesis for some of the characters, then would shoot all day from dusk till from dawn till dusk because the studio was trying to get it done really quick. Yeah. And like Dana Carvey, when when they asked him, like, would you ever do a movie like this again? Would you ever play another and he said, well, if I ever did it again, I'd play maybe two or three characters. He's like, because I've never known work that hard mm-hmm. in my life. <laughs> he said he said it was a level of exhaustion he's never experienced before in his life. Yeah, I could, <laughs> I could definitely see that. So he poured everything into this movie, and it definitely shows because, yeah, um, yeah he's, he's such a one-of-a-kind dude, man. I, I really like Dana Carvey. I think he's such a... He's such a... He's such an oddball, but he does some of the funniest character work I've ever seen. 
yeah, he, like I said, in, incredible talent, um, just with everything, all these voices, all these characters that he played. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, what would you say was your favorite scene in the entire movie? <laughs> um, my favorite scene, you know, I think it honestly is Gammy Num Nums. Yeah. That that character in the sequence, every line he says just just hits me so hard. Yeah. Um, if I could watch that scene by itself out of context and it still makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think that is my I think it's my favorite scene just because of how funny that character is. Yeah. And how he disappears right into it. Like you don't see Dana Carvey, you only see this like, yeah, yeah, yeah. feisty lady. How about you? Um I think yeah, I definitely would put that up there. Um, I also feel like that is the scene where the movie like comes alive after that one. Definitely. Um, I do, for some reason, I just like enjoyed all the scenes of the kid falling for some reason. Because like, <laughs> I, I feel like they're so small and so in, insignificant that you forget about them. And, like, and so every time I watch this movie, the kid just like wipes out. And I like, because I've completely forgotten about it, I just yeah. die laughing at it every single time. <laughs> it's, it's done really dramatically, isn't it? Yeah. And then, uh, and then whenever he's like his, his love interest, Jennifer, like the kid's mom, um, is with her like boyfriend at the time. And, um, yeah, there's that whole scene and the, and the, and the boyfriend's just like, what a loser. I don't know why yeah. it just, for some reason, like just killed me. What a loser. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that whole sequence where he gets, he gets Barney, the, 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 the pads. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, Trent. Was it Trent? Is that his name? Or Rex? I get the two confused. Oh, I'm not it's, sure. It's, it, one of the, yeah, he starts, are you mocking me? Are you mocking me? Oh, yeah, me? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my and God. And then he, like, try, <laughs> they, like, hug after, and he, like, tries to hug with them. Yeah. Uh, so that, it was, it's such, a, like, an obscure scene and not <laughs> memorable at all, in, like, with given all the scenes and characters that go on in this movie, but I don't know why. I found that one hilarious. Yeah, that is pretty, pretty funny. It's pretty funny. I guess that technically is a sight gag. Yeah, the way it's cut because it does the. It takes. It's like cuts. There's about three different cuts every time he bails. It's like really dramatic. It's like an action scene cut. Like boom, 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 and you're like, oh my god, that poor kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh jeez. Uh, did you have any other notes that you wanted to get to? Or um, I've no. exhausted my list. So if you want to, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think I have um, any. Oh, the other other note that I was uh, like I was going to mention is that this movie is what like fifty minutes or forty minutes, like of actual movie time. I think it's it's seventy until like the credits. So like, oh, okay, just yeah. just over an hour. If you lop off the opening credits, we're sitting at about an hour of film. Yeah, yeah, and so they had to extend it, and that's why there's so many like uh, they just put so many deleted scenes at the end of the movie because like it wasn't Gee. long enough. What do you think the reason behind that was? Did like because I, do do you think they had too much footage that didn't know what to do with it and had to distill it, or do you think that they thought it wasn't working so they salvaged what they could? What do you think was the mentality there? I have no idea because 
this type of movie just seems like anything goes right and so it makes no sense like well, like this movie is already chaotic from the beginning so why couldn't you just include those scenes in it right yeah i i, I, I don't know what do you think i think the studio panicked with how much um with how much footage they had and they just condensed it down maybe they thought it wasn't gonna work or something i don't yeah i I think i think their mentality was more of a salvage operation which is kind of Mm -hmm. unfortunate because um again like Waterworld, there's probably a four-hour cut of this film somewhere Mm -hmm. yeah i would love to watch that some insane every because i know i watched an extended version of that scene where he's doing his al pacino character and that scene runs like I think that scene runs like five to ten minutes long in the oh, wow. extended edition. And all he's doing is talking to that host about the yeah. tiny wiener and the little nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Which I, which still cracks me up when he says that for some reason. Um, yeah, like he, he does this whole extended thing about how he doesn't have Neapolitan ice cream. He basically just goes through a bunch of different foods. Uh, you got some tomato soup. With a little, uh, what you call it, croutons floating on top of the tomatoes? No. You don't got that. Uh, you got some ice cream, huh? You got some Neapolitan ice cream, you know, you got the vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, you go through the vanilla. Oh, delicious. Oh, suddenly chocolate. Oh, you're going through. Oh, my goodness. There's a strawberry. You don't got that. One of the greatest things ever invented. You don't got it. To this day... If I'm at like a, a party of any sort and there's like, there's food there and there's tiny wieners, I will still quote this movie and say, "You has a tiny wiener and a little nuts." This is something oh, that man. that's something I was thinking of too. I was um, okay, Aaron. If you if you take this is interesting. This movie, I I think we make a strong case for this movie dis uh, deserving cult classic status because yeah. and the reason why um besides all the other stuff we've talked about is um take a movie like avatar which is like one of the it, it, i think it's still like you know number biggest successes of all time yeah like, number one grossing movie yeah yeah but aaron give me one quote from avatar oh do not do kill the humans. <laughs> I don't okay, actually know. Okay, okay. I don't know give if me, that's for, give me, from. Give me two quotes from Avatar. <laughs> You're like a baby. <laughs> Those are okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, Those are the only Aaron. ones I remember. <laughs> You're a big Avatar fan, Aaron. Okay, help me out here. Prove my point with me. Give me okay. three quotes from Avatar. <laughs> okay, I I officially oh. have none. He's like a baby. Okay. No. <laughs> I just remember those scenes. Like I remember the Tunamuk Two one because of the yeah. like the YouTube video. Oh yeah, see that's more about the YouTube video. Yeah, like, but like, and then the other scene I remember is just because I laughed so hard because she says you're like a baby, but I don't know why I found that scene like unintentional humor found it funny. Yeah, the thing is that's always struck me about a movie like Master of Disguise, um, which I, I believe this movie's going to find redemption in the future because. To this day, if you if you're standing in a crowded room and you go turtle turtle, mm-hmm. every single person in that room is going to know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, very true. Like you said, if you say tiny wiener and some little nuts at a party, there's going to be five or six people who laugh and maybe start quoting other scenes or whatever. Like, yeah. This movie does not deserve one percent 
is what I'm saying, because everyone knows this film and everyone has some regard for the film, whether it's the quotes, uh, the characters, you know, like everyone knows this film. It has, it has a lot of cultural relevance as far as like cinema goes. Um, just based on the time it was released, just based on these quotes, you know, like, I don't know. I feel, I guess my closing argument would be that, you know, we're going to see, we're going to see Master of Disguise hit cult status, cult classic status. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think it deserves cult, cult, cult status. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be like, I, I won't say that it's going to be on level with something like The Room or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I definitely think that, it, I, I think it'll get its fair shake, you know? Yeah. Dana Carvey's still working, he's still doing stand-up and still doing voiceovers and stuff, so who knows? Maybe... Maybe uh, we'll get a number bastard disguise too. <laughs> Where he hands down the torts to his younger son or something. <laughs> yeah, um, to the kid's name. What's the kid, I guess? Barney. Barney. I, yeah, I don't know, but, um, yeah, definitely deserves cult status. It's frustrating because this movie could work. Yeah. It, you, with a bigger budget, uh, a little bit tighter writing, a few more, uh, a few more, um, how do fart you say? Jo- fart jokes. A few more fart jokes. <laughs> no. Uh, there, there's a version of this movie that exists in my mind that I feel like could smash, but until then, man, I, I, I feel like, I feel like the master of disguise can be redeemed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, just, just take it for face value and realize that Dana Carvey is a like a truly talented person, and yes. uh, you'll love the movie. It's a family film. Mm-hmm. Like, stop being, you know, relax. You know, yeah. take take the edge off the day. <laughs> I'm gonna watch this with my nephews now and see if they enjoy it as much as I did, or if they hate it. That'd be a good see, test. That's like the litmus test: is yeah. get like your nieces or nephews over, play the film, and watch them light up, and then for the next two weeks endure them quoting pistachio and talking like pistachio yeah and that will tell you all you need to know about this film yeah uh i'm excited to do that now (laughs) when uh once you do it we'll we'll mention it one of our follow-up episodes yeah okay well i hope i hope if you listen to this and you hated the master of disguise um i I hope we've given you a little more to think about Mm -hmm. even just the context i feel like it's important if you already liked it you know, um, I hope you just value it more. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we use Rotten Tomatoes as our, we're, we're going to be using that, I think, as our, our barometer because most people know about it. But, you know, it, it, it's important, based on, you know, just the premise of the show, it's important to make up your own mind about films and to, mm-hmm. to try not to watch things when you're not in the mood for it because that changes things too. You know? Yeah. Definitely. Well, Aaron, I think that's all. I think that's all I got to say about the Master of Disguise. Yeah, great movie. Watch it. Tell us what you think. All right. Well, that'll do it. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.